Well, we are in Ephesians 5, picking up at verse 25. And I think I will make most people sufficiently angry at me before the night's over. <laughs> we, will, we will see. We'll get husbands and wives on that uh, train probably mostly. Maybe some other people. But even though he's addressing husband and wives in these this uh, last verses of Ephesians 5, there are things for us to learn even if we are not. So last week we were looking at submission. We saw that thanksgiving and submission are found together. When you are missing one, you are generally also missing the other. In fact, I'm hard-pressed to even find a time that you find somebody who's in rebellion or in submission and they are not also uh, in the area of unthankfulness. I thought of a number of the times we have in the Word of God where rebellion was there and they are just teamed up so much. So be careful on that area of being grateful. Always guard it. The Word of God tells us to make sure that we do and there's good reasons for it. But when I become unthankful and ungrateful, I decide that I know what I need best, how things should have been done, who should have been blessed, what I deserve, what I have done most obediently, and how much others and God don't realize it yet. That is an unsubmissive attitude. If we let this attitude go unchecked, we become first off prideful. We see our way as better, ungrateful. Why God don't you? Why God didn't you? We become superior. Our understanding is better. God is lucky to have us. We become wiser. We tell people why what's in the Word is not for us today. Among other things, we become rebellious. Rebellion is not a lack of obedience. It is an unsubmissive attitude in a person even though they might obey. And we ended by looking at how unsubmissive attitudes hinders other areas in our Christian walk. But tonight we're finishing up chapter 5, the part that deals with husbands loving their wives. And in learning this, we will learn some things beyond the husband and wife relationship that will help you in your daily walk. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The covering authority must love the ones covered. If God is going to be our covering authority, or I'm sorry, Jesus is going to be our covering authority, He must love us, and we know that He does. But in the same way, if the husband is going to be a covering over the wife, then he must have this kind of love. The word there for love is agape. Agape is an aggressive love. It's not a, a love that just sits back. It's an aggressive love. In Titus chapter 2, verse 4, uh, we're kind of picking up in the middle of this, but that they ad admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. The word here for love and the one that the, the women are admonished to do is not the same word as what Ephesians has. It is the word that comes from phileo. The word here that they admonish the young women to love uh, their husbands comes from a Greek word philan. Philandros. It comes from a combination of words. One, philos, which is, of course, uh, from the phileo that we are very familiar with. And, uh, make sure I pronounce this right, an heir, which means man, husband, or future husband. So the combination of the word is to love the man, love the husband, or love the future husband. In a phileo type of way. The same command is for the children, except this one has as the second half of the word technon, which is child or children. Now, phileo is a responding love. Agape is an aggressive love. But phileo will be a responding love. It responds to the love that it receives. Now, as, uh, as to the one to whom others are submitted... My decisions must be made on behalf of the welfare of those in submission. So if we have people that are submitted to us, and it's not just a husband and wife relationship where there's submission involved, there's others 
where it is as well. My decisions must be made on behalf of the welfare of those in submission. So parents have children in submission to them, and their decisions have to be made for the welfare of those children. If you have, um, in any situation, you have a boss, they have people that are submitted under them. If you have uh, people in the military, you have people that are submitted under them. You must always make decisions, if you're going to operate this in the God kind of way, you have to make decisions based on what is best for those that are under you, not what is best for you. If you get into a situation where the person who is in the over position, those that are in the submissive position, if the person in the over position makes decisions based on them, then they will become domineering and they will begin to use and abuse the people that are under them to gain what they can. That is not the God way of doing it. We have to make sure that we stay out of it in any relationships that we have. Others are not here for my benefit. If you are going to walk in the way that God has, I am here for the benefit of others. Now, submission is based on the assumption that the covering authority has my best interest or the interest of the whole at heart. If we get into a situation and we are supposed to be submitted, but the covering authority does not have my best interest, the covering authority is not walking in that kind of love, you have other problems that are going on. And uh, history is, is full of those things. Once the covering authority steps outside the scope of acting on behalf of the interest of the covered in order to act for their own benefit, the law of love has been compromised, opening a door to the same problem as submission. So let me go back here and let's read this over again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So the command here is, Husbands, love your wives. There is not a command that goes back the other way that says, Wives, love your husbands. There is the one in Titus, and that is a uh, phileo or responding kind of love that we are to be, be walking in. But we have as the, uh, let's go back over here. The command is not. There are some things that this command is not. I, know I just kind of gave you some space and you can write this down as you would wish to. The command is not love her as she says to love her. And that's real important that we understand this. We, the husband is not commanded to love the wife the way the wife says to love her. He is not commanded to love the wife in the way that she hears love. He is not commanded to love the wife how she thinks she wants to be loved. There's people who write these books, the love languages and all this sort of stuff. I'm sure that there's a, there's a help for it. That is not what is in the command. That is not what the apostle has in mind here. He says, you are to love the wife how? As Christ loves the church. So I don't care how you hear love, you cannot impose that upon your husband as a command. And this command, as the other one, wives submit, that's a command to the wife, that is a letter to the wife, that is written to the wife, that is not written to the husband. The husband goes around saying, submit woman, he is wrong. And he cannot quote the scripture in that. Nor can the wife be throwing this at the husband. You have to love me. You start doing stuff like that, you're getting out, you're applying scriptures to someone else, and you're, just, you're just messing it all up. Don't be doing it. Don't be thinking, well, this is how I hear love, this is what you need to do. That is not what the Bible says. Now, people will write these books and they will do these things, and a lot of counseling, a lot of marriage counseling is based on the natural side of love. It is not based on the spiritual side of love. When you get into the thing... Of, well, this is how I hear love. This is how I want to be loved. If you get into those kind of things, this is all natural love. These are based in the natural. They will only yield natural results. Now, natural results may not be bad, but it is not what is commanded. You cannot get spiritual results from the natural. You cannot get it. If you want supernatural results, then you have to go in the way of the supernatural. 
If you're going to go in the way of the natural, then you are going to get natural things. So if wives, you're going to pursue the husband to love you the way that you hear love, the way that you want to be loved, the way that you think you ought to be loved, you will get natural results, not supernatural results. Husbands, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So, in order to look into this and understand this, what I did was I, I meditated on this for, for a while. I wanted to figure out everything from Scripture that I could. How does Christ love the church? Because that's our model. No matter who writes the book, no matter what PhD they might have, they are not the model. The model is how Jesus Christ loves the church. That is the only model that we are told to, to look after, and it's the only one we really need to learn. So to understand the command, we have to understand first how Christ loved the church. This helps all of us to understand how Christ loves the church. It will help you in your relationship with God, whether you are married or whether you are not. It makes absolutely no difference because we are all in the church and we receive His love this way. Now, first off, if you're going to love the way Christ loved the church, Jesus keeps doing what He said He would do because of who He is and what He said. That's big. He does what He said He would do because of who He is and what He said. If you are going to love your wife because of things that she said she would do or what she came through on or anything such as that, you're not loving the wife as Christ loved the church. If the Word of God says, this is what you do, you cannot go to God and say, yeah, but she's not. That won't work with God. He doesn't care what she's not doing or what she is doing. What He cares about is, what are you doing? And you answer to God. You don't answer to the wife. Now, some wives don't like to hear that. But you, men, you do not answer to your wife. You answer to God. In the submission area, wives, you do not answer to your husband. You answer to God. The husband is not there to police that. God is. Just like the wife is not there to police the love, God is. And we, there's a whole lot of finger pointing going on in these areas. And we, should, we are not supposed to be doing it. Now, this, there are some things in the Word of God that He will only do when we do something. And that's those ones that He says, If you will, then I will. But He tells you that straight up. If you will do this, then I will do this as well. But otherwise, if it's something he's going to do, he's going to do it whether you did your part or not. He's coming back for his church regardless of what you do. He said he's going to do it and he's going to come back for his church. And there's other things as well on that. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't do our part for us, but stands back and patiently waits for us to do it. That's how he loves the church. If there's a part that I'm supposed to do, he doesn't step in and do it. He doesn't say, well, you're having a hard time with this believing part. I'll step in. I'll do the believing part for you. Uh-uh. He doesn't do that. You've got to do your own believing. In a husband and wife relationship, and even in some other relationships that are following in the same, same order, we sometimes expect the one that is loving us, that is covering us, to step in and do things for us that we need to do ourselves. No. That's not helping. And sometimes husbands will have a tough time standing back and say, well, it's, no, I, I, well, I always do this for her. And we're not talking about opening doors or, or stuff like that. We're just talking about uh, the wife needs to do her own, her own study. She needs to do her own praying. She needs to uh, do her own believing. She's got to learn some of these things. Brother Hagin was told that even about his wife. Uh, he was doing a lot of the believing for her because she was young in the things of faith. And he got her healed on a number of case, uh, cases. Uh, but then God dealt with him. No, she needs to do her own believing. And so he was done. He was no longer able to step in and just uh, be able to do that. That's not part of the covering responsibility that was there. So, he look how Jesus does it. He doesn't do our part for us. If he says, you need to do this, then you need to do it. When he told Jairus, do not fear, that wasn't on Jesus to do. That was on Jairus to do. If something is commanded on the Word, 
for each of us to do. You can't step in and do it for them. Now, here's a tough one. Jesus doesn't speak from emotions. He doesn't speak from, I'm scared. He doesn't speak from, I'm upset. He doesn't speak from feeling left out. He doesn't speak from, neglect. I'm feeling neglected. He doesn't speak from those things. Very often, we can tend to do that. Now, sometimes husbands or people that are in a submitted relationship, the other submitted relationships, the covering authority says something or does something, or the one being covered has a bad day and starts speaking some things out, that does not change the command to the covering authority. He says, love the wife as Christ loves the church. That means if your wife has a fit, that doesn't give you the right to act in the flesh. We sometimes like to think that it does. Let God deal with her. So I heard one person put it this way. That's your daughter. <laughs> yep. But don't speak from emotions. Now, husbands are better off. The way we are made, the man is, it is easier for him to step outside of the emotions that he feels and speak and act and do. Now, that aggravates some women. Because we want the men to be more in touch with their feelings. And you know, society today, we're trying to get all the men in touch with their feelings. We're trying to, to feminize the men. Uh, no, God made you in a certain way. He made the man to be able to be detached from his feelings. He made the woman more involved with her feelings. When you both come together, you're able to accomplish things uh, together that you wouldn't be able to do. The man has to realize, well, she's a little bit more in touch with this than I am, so I need to listen uh, and hear what she has to say on this, and the woman needs to understand when the when you guys have an argument and he goes off to work and works just fine, it's not because you're not important to him, it's because that's how he's wired, because God made him that way. He doesn't get distracted by the emotions that you threw at him. That's that's helpful. Don't don't blame him for it. This is how God is. This is how I'm sorry, this is how Jesus is. He doesn't speak from emotions. How many times have you in prayer gotten upset with God? And he doesn't get all emotional on you. And he doesn't start saying things and being nasty to you. Well, you said that. <laughs> he doesn't do it. Now, here's a tough one. I left this one blank because I didn't want you to get it just yet. But you tell me if this is not true. God, I keep saying that. Jesus, there's a, there's a reason why I keep going back and correcting that. We'll get there. Jesus doesn't remind us of our past. Your wife may, but as you as a covering husband, we're not made to. Do not think for a moment, well, my wife keeps bringing up my past, so then you bring up hers. No. You are commanded to love the wife, how? As Christ loved the church, which means if she wants to throw up your past at you, that does not give you the opportunity to throw it back at her. Oh, but that's not fair. <laughs> he doesn't remind us of our past. If you're going to get into a, a, an argument, you've got to make sure don't be bringing up the past, husbands. Now, you get into a relationship where you are in submissive, say, in a, in a boss relationship, a good boss does not keep bringing up the past, does he? A bad boss does. A bad boss will good. Well, you keep messing up here. Well, you just did this last week. Well, don't you remember last year you did? That's not a good boss. We don't like him when the boss keeps bringing up the, the dirt from the past. This is how God has demonstrated it. Now, understand, you may bring up your past to God, but God's not going to be throwing it back at you. Here's the next one. Jesus doesn't speak from hurt. Even when we do. How many times have we poured out our heart to God? We're hurt because of what uh, happened. We're hurt because we think God did something or Jesus didn't do something or our faith didn't do something and we're hurt. We're all bothered. Man or woman. We're, we're in prayer and we're just rattling off all of our hurt. Speaking out of all that hurt that we've got. And we're just letting it all go. God does not speak back to us. Jesus does not speak back to us from hurt. We may hurt Him. But he doesn't speak to us from it. Husbands, you've got to make sure you do this. 
spouses, whoever, whatever relationship you're in, where there's a submitting thing, where there's a covering, you cannot speak from hurt. Yeah, but... Oh, but, but that really... No, no. If you want to be in that covering position, if you want to be in that, that higher position, there are some responsibilities with it God, that uh, God puts on there. Now, here's the next one. Jesus is not guilted into doing the things our flesh cries out for instead of our spirit. And he doesn't yell at us when we try. You can try and guilt Jesus into doing things all day long. He'll just sit there and let you talk. He just sits on back there and lets you go. Wives, you're not there to guilt your husbands into, into something, but if you do, husbands, you are not to move on guilt. What has God told you to do as the covering authority and do it? Now, sometimes you may have thought, well, I'm going to go this direction. And as the conversation, well, I guess maybe I'm misunderstanding this. You can change, change your mind, understand what it is that God's leading you to do. That's fine. But if you just give into something because you got guilted into it, that's not going to work out well. That's not something that you're supposed to be going after. Now, here's another one. Jesus doesn't go along with our plans or pleas just to keep the peace. Sometimes we can do this. We just kind of, well, I really don't care what happens with that. We'll just do whatever. And uh, just, you know, it's more peaceful. You know, that whole saying that goes, happy wife, happy life. Doesn't go along with our plans or pleas just to keep the peace, but will contend with us at times. There was a time Abraham contended. He, Abraham is submitted to Jesus, the head of the church. And he contended with him from a submissive position. Would you destroy the city if there are 45? If there are 40? And he kept contending with them on that. That was okay. There can be a contending that goes on. And the wife may say, or the, the person who's being covered, the, the employee or the whoever it might be, might say, well, would it be okay if we did this? That's, Ab that's the pattern with Abraham. That's what, just because your opinion is different from the one who's covering doesn't mean you can't ever bring it up. You just got to bring it up in the right way. And Abraham did that. And he stayed very submitted to him. But he, would it be all right if there's only 30? How about if there's only 20? And he just kept on going down. Now Gideon, he's over there contending, uh, trying to, to get with God. He's, he did some things out of his flesh and Jesus went along with it. Oh, I'm going to put this fleece out. That's kept, that came out of his flesh, didn't come out of his spirit. But he said, all right, we'll go ahead and do this way. So sometimes that, you may see that going on. There was one time that uh, Israel had asked for a king. That was completely out of their flesh. And the head of the church, the head of Israel, said to them, you do this, this is what's going to happen. We don't care, we want it anyway. There are times that God has said, alright, I've warned you, you don't want to do this, but since you're insisting on it, here you go. And he gave it to them. And they weren't happy. <laughs> They're happy for a little while, but not for very long. Now, God loves us as a father. Jesus is the example that is used here as the church is his bride. You have to be real careful on this, this uh, typology here. We are, the husband is to love the wife as Christ loves the church. He does not say God the Father. The Father is the one who disciplines us not the Son. It is the Father. A couple of verses of Scripture if you want to write them down. Proverbs 3 and verse 12. For whom the, the Lord loves, He corrects just as a father the Son in whom He delights. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who correct us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, 
but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. One more, Colossians 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The disciplined role is between father and son, or father and child. That's where the discipline. Husbands, you are, you are not the wife's father. That means you are not involved in the discipline. That is between her and the father. You let the father take care of that. That's not your role to be doing it. Now, understand this. We'll get on the husband's case here, but I'm going to flip over and get on the wife's case too. The husband is not to be the wife's father, nor is the wife to be the husband's mother. Don't try and mother him. He will either resent it or become something he should not and also not be your covering. Don't tell him what to eat. Don't tell him what he's doing is wrong. How he could do his job better. How to dress. Put on a coat before you go outside. Ask 20 questions on everything they do. Where they were. Why did it take so long? That's being a mom. Wives, you are not called to be your husband's mom. And if you do it, you will either see him resent it and pull back or he will become something he is not supposed to be. And he will not be your covering. You will therefore be uncovered as far as God's order is concerned. Because your flesh decided you wanted to be the mom. Very seldom do you see the husbands want to be the father. But very often will you see the wives want to be the mom. It's something that's in the flesh. You've got to get out of it. Don't be doing it. If he's doing, I, I, I wrote this down, but if, if, you were a, a, if you were a wife in the kitchen, you wouldn't take kindly to your husband doing this. How would you like your husband to come in the kitchen and ask you 20 questions? Why are you cooking it that way? Why are you using that pan? Why are you doing it at that heat? Why'd you buy that meat? How come you don't wash this when you get it dirty? How come the counter's all messed up? Isn't it better to work on a counter that's all cleaned up? How come the stove got so dirty? I mean, if they came in there and did it, how many of the, how many of the wives that, that uh, like the, that's not always the wife that's in the kitchen, but sometimes it is. How many of the wives, if after a little while, kick them out of the kitchen? But that same wife will come in and, and on the job where the husband is working and begin to question him. Why are you doing it that way? Well, why don't you do it this way? Well, why don't you do this over here? Leave him alone. He might ask you for some help. He might ask for you for your opinion. If he's going to get dressed, he may ask you whether you think this is a good outfit or not. But if he don't ask you, shut your mouth. You are not his mom. If he wants to go outside without a coat on, let him go. You can may say, well, I'm not going to take care of him when he's sick. Good. <laughs> You're not called to be the mom. You're not his mom. See, we, we mess these things up and then we, we don't understand why the relationship got so, so crazy. Now, if you, if you as a wife go to the grocery store and in the grocery store you meet up with a couple of friends and you talk to this friend for 15 minutes and this friend for 20 minutes and this friend for 10 minutes and instead of being at the grocery store for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, you come back two and a half hours later. How many times does the husband start questioning you? Well, how come it took so long? Well, what'd you do? Well, did you need to talk to them? Was it more important for you to talk to them than it was to me? They don't do that. If it took you two and a half hours to be at the store, then there was probably good reason for it to take two and a half hours. That's fine. So you have to let it go both ways in here. You can't be, be uh, well, I'm going to find out everything here. I'm going to find out every place where he's at. Can't do it. You are not called to be the mom. That's also, well, I'll get into that in a minute. How would the wife respond if the husband said to her, if you eat food like that, you're going to get fatter. How are you going to wait, lose weight eating like that? Wife wouldn't take to that too well, would she? But yet, a wife will speak that way to her husband without, a, without a, many wives. Will speak that way to her husband and not give it a second thought. Now, 
Now, Jesus loves the church, but it doesn't mean that she's perfect, nor that he loves our imperfections. Wives, don't expect your husbands to love your imperfections. Well, you just have to love me this way. No, he don't. He has to love you. He doesn't have to love the way you are. God is going to love us. He doesn't love everything about us. There's some things that we do that he says, you need to knock that off. We're going to be dealing with that in about a year. <laughs> right now, I'm going to let it go. He's the head of the church. We haven't grown to the part where he can handle that just yet. But just know, just because you got some imperfections going on, just because you got some flesh hanging out, that doesn't mean that the husband has to love it. Now, Jesus doesn't change us, manipulate us, or domineer us. He helps us to better ourselves. That's how He helps us. That's how He loves us. Husbands are not to try and change the wife, to manipulate the wife, or to domineer her. That is not their role. If the Word of God says, Thou shalt do this, Jesus doesn't come along and say, and force us to do it. He'll tell us, this is what the Word says, but He'll let us do it. And that's how the husband is to operate. Husbands, you are not responsible for your wife's obedience to the Word of God. She is not called to obey you. She is called to submit. You are called to love. Now, your flesh, I wrote this in, the, I gave you the blank here because I didn't want you to get this before. Your flesh will operate as male or female, but your spirit is above that restriction. Your flesh, if you're born male, your flesh will operate as male. If you're born female, your flesh will operate as female. And there will be some problems that you will have with the flesh if you are a woman that you won't have as a man. And there'll be some problems you have with your flesh if you're a man that you won't have if you're a woman. But your spirit is neither. Your spirit is born in the image of God. And God is both male and female. Go back to the book of Genesis for that. We're not going to take all the time in the, in the getting it. But when he created Adam, he created him male and female. Then he created them, Adam and Eve, separate male and female. Your flesh will operate as a male. Your flesh will operate as a female. This will help you understand some of the things that are going wrong in the area of homosexuality. You've got a, a, a male flesh trying to act feminine. You've got a, a female flesh trying to act male. And that's why it's all, all messed up. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just a, a, a side thing to it. But, but your flesh is created male or female. But your spirit is in the image of God. The more that you learn to operate by your spirit, the less that the um, restrictions of your flesh will bother you. As a, as a female, your flesh is more tied in to some of the things that you feel. You're made that way. And that's okay. But your spirit doesn't have that restriction. Your spirit is able to circumvent that. Find out what God is saying. Bypass your feelings to where your flesh is, is, is caught up with that more, a, a male is not as connected with them, and so he may make some decisions that those would have benefited him for, but your spirit can, trans, can go past that restriction and hear from God and hear the right thing to do, even though you're not as tied in. That's just getting into the feelings area. There's a lot of other areas where our differences come in and help or hinder. But your spirit will get past all that. The more spirit... Op more spirit-oriented you are, the less these things are going to bother you. Now, whether you're a husband or wife or never, or haven't become any of those, you still have to understand your flesh is going to hinder you because it was created either male or it was created female. But your spirit can get past all of that. So you've got to learn how to tap into your spirit and you get past the restrictions of your flesh. That's why it's so important to be walking in the spirit, not in the order of the flesh. You will not do as God desires through your flesh. 
you will not do as God desires through your flesh. Only through your newborn spirit. You have to get past it. There are many times husbands and wives will have the aspect of their flesh come out and they spiritualize it. And they make it seem like it's godly. There are sometimes wives will come out and the things that they're doing as a mother over their husband, they will, they will spiritualize it. And then you'll never hear God say, stop it. And you'll get offended at people who tell you to knock it off. You won't be able to hear that you're asking too many questions about this particular thing. You won't hear the words, back off. You won't hear it. But you should. The more tied in you get in your spirit, you hear this stuff. It'll get past it. But your flesh, you won't do as God desires through it. You got to get out of that flesh. Sometimes we feed our flesh so much, we think our flesh is our spirit. But there, it's really easy to tell the difference between the two. Well, so whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, you can still work on a lot of these principles. That is my female flesh. That is my male flesh that wants to get into that and wants to go in this direction. I, no, what is my spirit telling me to do? I need to know what my spirit is telling me to do, and that's what you need to follow. And husbands, if you're going to be the covering authority in that household, you better not be listening to your flesh. You've got to learn how to hear that spirit and follow it. Because when you hear the spirit, there may be people, your wife might not like it, your kids might not like it, but you know this is what God has said to do. And so you follow after it. Remember that story? I, I know I told it to you. It was told to me when they had that big tsunami that came in and uh, all those people died from this huge tsunami that came in over in, um, uh, what was it? Was it Malaysia? I think it was somewhere. No, well, there was this pastor and his family. They had a vacation scheduled throughout there. They were supposed to, to be there. And the, uh, the man, the husband, got in his spirit, don't go. And so he finally said, uh, guys, we're not going. Thing was all paid for. They lost the money. We're not going. And wife was mad. The kids were mad. Everybody's mad. But he had to stay, stay with it. Now, God dealt with the covering authority, who was the man. He needed to listen. He doesn't need to speak to everybody in the, the whole, whole group. He didn't need to speak to the kids. He needed to speak to the wife. He needed to speak to the husband. And the husband needed to stand his ground. And he did. And they would have been on the beach when that hit. So afterwards, everybody was happy. <laughs> but up until then, they weren't. That's how spirit-led you need to be on these things and be willing to, to go. Now, if you just make that kind of a decision, you didn't hear from your spirit, you heard from your flesh, and your flesh said, I feel like I don't want to go on that vacation anymore, so I'm just going to pretend like, no, you're going to be in big trouble doing that. You pass on spiritual things, or flesh things as spiritual things, the, the, your covering authority is going to come after you. You don't, you don't be doing that sort of stuff. So, verse 28, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourish, nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, the, the idea here, Jesus is the covered authority. He is the head. The church is the body. Jesus loves the body because the body is part of him. So, in the same way, the husband is to love the wife as if it's part of his body. That's how much we should, we should care for it. That's how much we should love it. So, that's the example that he is using here. So just as you're not going to separate the body from Christ, because there's two examples that we have here that are being used, and they're all used through the, the Scripture. The one example is that the, the church is the bride of Christ, and in that, Jesus is the husband, and, the, and then she is the bride. In that instance, the church is the woman. But in this instance, when he's talking about it here, the Christ is the head, the body, or the church is the body, you don't have a head of a male and a body of a female. That's a freak. 
in that situation, the church is male. And that's why uh, you'll see other places in the Scripture, he that hinders, that's the church. Because we hinder in the form of the body, not the form of the bride. The bride doesn't hinder anything. It's the body of Christ that hinders. Satan is under our feet. He's not under your feet as the bride of Christ. He's under your feet as the body of Christ. And so in keeping with that type of a uh, typology, that's why Paul uses he that hinders. That throws off a lot of people and they try and say the Holy Spirit. No, it is not the Holy Spirit being removed in the tribulation. We are the ones that are removed because we are what is hindering. So again, this command is to the husband. It is not a verse for the wife to throw at him. It is from God to him. Now, wives, you are not God, nor are you the Holy Spirit. Don't try and be that to the husband. God is God to him. Jesus is Jesus to him. And the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit to him. Same thing, too. If husbands try and get super spiritual, they are not God to the wife. They are not the Holy Spirit to the wife. They are not Jesus to the wife. Now, it says here at the end, Nevertheless, each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her own husband. So, most husbands having love issues love themselves more than their wives. If a husband has a love issue, it's because they love themselves more than the wife. If a boss has an issue with a subordinate, it's because they love themselves more than the subordinate. That's why they're having a hard time in that function. Some of our best bosses that we've ever had are people who we feel from them, boy, they love me as much as they love themselves. They care about me in this job as much as they care about themselves. Those ones that get selfish and they care about their own promotion, how they look and don't care about you, that's not a good boss. Not a good husband either. Most husbands have love issues, love themselves more than their wives. Most wives having submission issues are disrespecting their husbands. You want to see, a, if you see a wife who speaks openly disrespectful of her husband, puts her husband down in public, says things up, always correcting the husband, that woman has got some submission issues. That's just the, the stuff that you're seeing. At home, it's probably even worse. Now, most women know disrespect when they see it in their kids. They know disrespect when they see it in others, but they fail to see it in themselves. Especially ones that are dominated by the flesh, not by the spirit. They have a hard time seeing that. God can't even speak to them. God's trying to point out to them, look, you're, you're in a wrong spot over here. I can tell... When I am disrespectful to God, I am not to be disrespectful. As a man, as a woman, we are to be in submission to, to God the Father. We are to be in mis- submission to the Son. If we go around and speak disrespectfully of the Son, disrespectfully of the Father, if we go around and put them down, if we go around and say why they do things that are wrong, why the Scriptures aren't correct, we are disrespecting and we are having a submission problem. It's really easy for us to see. So summing up, wives are to submit. I'm going to tell you some things, but it's not. Wives, this is, this is not submission. Correcting, manipulating, guilting, questioning, obeying, or rejecting. These are not attitudes of submission. If you're going around correcting all the time, If you're going around manipulating, well, I can get him to do this if I do this. If you're going around guilting them, if you're going around questioning them, every time you see them do something, well, why are you doing it that way? Well, why don't you do it this way? Well, what about this over here? Husbands don't like that any more than wives do. What will happen is your husband will start keeping you from those things so he doesn't have to hear the questions anymore. It is not obeying. You can disobey and still be submitted. Have a submission attitude, submitted attitude. Just like you can still be submitted to your government when your government requires something of you that you cannot be in submission to. Well, no, I will still be submitted, but I will not obey that. I will not do that. My Father God says differently, and I obey Him. He, I'm, first of all, submitted to my Father God. And you may try and command me to bow down and worship this thing, but I'm not going to do it. 
The last one I said was submission is also not rejecting. When God gives us things, when he promises things for his word, he says, here, this is for you. This is, this is what I want you to have. We can reject it. There are people who reject the things that God gives. Spiritual gifts are rejected by some people. His gift of healing is rejected by some people. His gift of the Holy Spirit is rejected by some people. Revelation is rejected by some people. The Pharisees walked in such a way to reject a lot of things that God was given because they were not in submission. You have to be in a place where you are receiving those things. Don't be rejecting. Now, we don't, we don't do these things in relationship to God, or at least we shouldn't do these things in relationship to God. And it shouldn't be in, involved in the other relationships that we are to be in submission to as well. We can contend together. We can question to understand. I'm trying to understand, God, why you're doing this. I don't question that you're doing it. I don't question that it's a, a valid thing to do, but I question to understand. All right, God, well, I see you doing this, and um, but you know why this way? I'm trying to understand. There's a whole big difference between questioning to understand something that's being done and questioning to uh, test its validity. Is this really a valid thing to be doing? So we can contend together, question to understand, but still receive from. Now husbands are to love, which is not. I wrote down some things. This is what it's not. First off, copying what is done to us, but following the example of Jesus. Husbands, you are not loving your wives the way you're supposed to if you are copying the behavior that she's given to you. If she's giving you some flesh behavior and you copy it, that is not what you are supposed to be doing as the head, head that God made you in that family. Yeah, but you don't understand. She, it doesn't matter. This is how you're supposed to go. God does not copy our behavior and give it back to us. So I'm not supposed to copy anyone else's behavior and give it back to them. Love is not reminding them of past errors and shortcomings. Yeah, but they reminded me of my past errors and shortcomings. That's up to God and them. That is not for you to do. You are the covering authority. You are not to be sitting there reminding them of their past shortcomings and, and such things. Yeah, but my wife reminds me of things I did 10 years ago. Don't matter. Don't, you are not there to follow their example. The boss is not there to follow the example of the employees. The husband is not there to follow the example of the wife. The kids, or the, the parents are not there to follow the example of the kids. What would happen if the parents start acting like the kids? It's not how it's supposed to go. In this relationship, the one that is the covering authority needs to set the pattern, not follow the pattern of the others. That's not easy. I know it's not. God didn't say it was. How hard do you think it is for Him? For all these people doing the things they do. And they sometimes remind God of past errors and shortcomings that He didn't even do. Love is not speaking from emotions you feel or, are, or get stirred up. That's not love. Do not speak from those emotions. You may have them. You may feel them. They may have gotten stirred up. Something may be said in an argument that's stirring up these things. Do not speak from those emotions. You need to just stay silent sometimes. Doesn't God sometimes just kind of sit back and just kind of stay silent with us while we ran on? <laughs> and he, just, he just gets quiet when we get ready to listen. He'll, he'll tell us. What, we, what will help be helpful for us. It's also love is not quitting what you know to do because of what was done to you. You keep doing it. You keep going. You don't quit it. Now in loving, love the way that Christ loves the church. That's the example. Not the way the books tell you to love. Not the way your wife tells you to love. Not the, the way the wife feels like she wants you to love her, love her. How does Christ love? That's the standard. I have to follow the standard that the Word of God has put. Not a standard that anyone else has done. Dr. So-and-so may be well-educated. 
and maybe has a lot of success in his program, he does not, she does not set the standard for what love is. God has through Jesus Christ. That is what you need to follow. That is what you need to do. In submitting, submit the way we are all to do to Jesus, the head of the church. That's how we submit. If we talk disrespectfully of Jesus, if we always question everything that he does, we're always pointing out where it's probably this wasn't so good. If behind closed doors, yeah, well, you don't know what he does here. You don't know what goes on. That is not a submissive attitude. That's a disrespectful attitude and it will hurt you. Because when every time you step out and do it, every time a wife goes out and talks about her husband this way, every time the wife steps out and starts to correct her husband in all these things that he's, that he's doing, she is feeding her flesh thinking her flesh is her spirit. And she will become more confused between the two. Every time that we begin, as male or female, if we go before God, and we start correcting God, if we start telling Him that we're feeding our flesh, you want an example for that? Look at the Pharisees. How many times did they, they correct Jesus? Try and instruct Him. Why? They're feeding their flesh. They think they're being spiritual. They think they are setting a higher standard spiritually. They think it's their spirits that are doing it. But it's their flesh. And Jesus points it out. They can't hear it. But the more they went out and corrected Jesus, the more they went out and corrected God by making their own laws, then they got so far off on this that they could not tell the difference between their flesh and their spirit. And on the Sabbath that they didn't want Jesus to heal, they went out and planned how to kill somebody. And felt fine about it. You keep feeding your flesh in these areas, you will not be able to tell the difference between your flesh, male or female, and what is spirit. And that will hinder you greatly. Hinder you from maturing. Hinder you from doing the things that God wants you to do. Hinder you from having the right submissive spirit to God. Have Hinder you from having the right love attitude towards people you're supposed to love. It will hinder you all over. You need to knock it off. And not keep feeding it. Every time you hear yourself go off and be disrespectful, slap yourself. No, I'm not going to do that. Every time you find yourself going off there and correcting, slap yourself. No, I'm not going to do that. If somebody asks you, how would you do this? Then you can go out there and, and throw it on out. But don't keep interjecting. Well, no, you ought not to do it that way. You ought to do it this way. It's amazing how many people will step into something they've never done before and tell you how to do it. You've been doing it for how long? Don't be, don't be getting into that area. You're feeding your flesh man and it will be hard for you to tell the difference. And you can very easily become a Pharisee who thinks what they're doing is spiritual and it's as flesh-oriented as can be. And it'll hinder you, hinder the body of Christ, hinder us in all kinds of, of areas. You also become very ungrateful for the husband for the wife, for the Savior, for the Holy Spirit, for the church, for the people in the church, for the job, for the people in the job, for the boss of the job. All those things will come in and that will just mess you up. You don't need to have it. Father, we thank you for the teaching that you give us about husbands and wives, but that it applies in so many other areas. Help us to be able to distinguish between the voice of our flesh and the voice of our spirit because it is the voice of our spirit that will lead us into the areas that please you. The voice of our flesh will lead us into areas that we think will please you, but actually will not. But you'll give us the help that we need, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any comments, questions, anything to add? If anybody is still not too mad at me. <laughs> Laura says, if a husband is not walking with the Lord... Is a wife still required to submit to her husband? Did she marry him? <laughs> well, first off, you're not supposed to marry somebody and be unequally yoked. But uh, Paul happened to address that question in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when he ran into people who one person got saved and the other person didn't. And so they got married as uh, unequally, or they got married as unsaved, but now they're unequally yoked because either the wife got saved or the husband got saved. And so Paul wrote to them about these things. 
And he said, now concerning the things that he wrote to me about. If the unsaved husband or wife is willing to live with the saved one, then uh, you are bound in those cases. So if you're bound in those cases, then you are bound to, to submit. Now again, submit doesn't mean obey. If the husband in that situation is telling the wife to do something that disobeys what the Word of God has told them to do, husband, I am submitted to you, but I am not going to obey you in this. You can still have a submissive attitude, not a rebellious one, and not obey. And that's what you need to have in that situation. You'll have all kinds of uh, problems. Paul even uh, pointed that out. It's just better not to marry somebody who does not agree spiritually the, and is going in the same direction as you. That will be a problem. <laughs> I, I think one of the places I've seen this to be the greatest problem, it is not an unequally yoked situation. It's uh, the people think they are equally yoked. But if you have uh, a Protestant spouse marry a Catholic spouse, I'll tell you, I've seen more things come out of that because it is hard to get the Catholic out of a, of a person. It is real hard. Uh, if you ever heard, listen, I was listening to one of Jesse DePlanis's. He grew up Catholic. And he was talking about some of the things that uh, went on there that they were taught in, in with all that. Um, I think his wife was, grew up Catholic too. I think they both had that uh, in them. And they talked about some of the relationship they had when they had to get back into the Catholic Church. And uh, he said, boy, that stuff just gets in you. It's hard. It's a, uh, yeah, whatever they say goes. Um, but you will have a problem, especially when kids come along. Do we have, do the kids learn uh, Protestant values or do they go through catechism? And for a lot of Protestants, having their kids go through catechism, catechism is against everything they believe. Everything they believe. They have, and it will turn into, if you don't know what the catechisms are, I, I know that much of it. And I couldn't do it. I could not have my child be subjected to that sort of stuff. It is, there's so much stuff that is untrue, unfounded, unscriptural. It is traditional, but it is not scriptural. And uh, I've seen a lot of very, in, uh, very upset people going through this, and it just tears them apart. What do we do with the kids? And there you've really got a problem with the submission thing. What's the wife going to do? The husband says, the husband's Catholic, we're going into the catechism, and these kids are getting this, and that's all there is to it. And, oh, I'll tell you what, just, just don't get involved in that situation. It be better. Did that help answer her question? Or she didn't respond just yet? All right. Laura, it, it, just let me know if that's... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Sharon says she really needed to hear this teaching. She said thank you for it. All right, and it's, oh God, somebody's not mad. That's cool. <laughs> oh, okay, hold on a minute. We got Stuart and we got Ethel over here too. So Laura says, so if the husband was a Christian and has walked away from the Lord, if the wife, is the wife still required to submit? I'm still a little confused. So I think she's asking a different question. Yep, she's probably asking for someone else. And the problem that would come in with when asking for someone else is, there's a spirit leading that needs to go on. And the spirit leading will tell you because each husband is going to be different and they're in a different place. And so God is going to say, wife, do this. or He's going to lead you in this particular way. And that's going to help that situation, but it won't help this one. So you have to have that spiritual leading. You have to have that uh, understanding. Uh, Paul even says that the wife can win the unbelieving husband over. Well, you can if you follow what the spirit says. If you follow what the flesh says, you're not going to win anybody over. So you have to hear what the Spirit has to say. So in that particular situation, uh, unless she's married, and I don't know about it, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's asking for someone else, and there is that aspect of it. Now, the Spirit of God will lead you in every situation you're in. Uh, that's one of the reasons I, I just don't like the, uh, uh, when people say, well, if, uh, there's a name for it. What, is, what do they call that name? Hy hypothetical situation. I don't like it because I don't have the leading of the Spirit in a hypothetical situation. Um, I, I depend on that because I, I am not the wisest person. I am not the smartest person. Uh, I depend on a leading from the Spirit. L lead me. Tell me what to say. Tell me how to do, how to handle this particular thing. 
uh, I, I, I need that so much that uh, in a hypothetical you don't have it. Brothers and friends never give up, right? What's that? Keep praying for unsaved brothers and friends forever, right? So they get saved if they ever get saved, some of them. Depends on how you're praying for them. Every the way day. we were taught to pray for them is that first off, you take authority over the spirit of darkness that blinds their eyes, because I mean, that's to, what we're told in Corinthians to do. Paul taught us to do that. Since I'm getting nowhere with it, take take a well. That's why I'm telling you. Right. Um, take authority over that over that spirit of darkness. And then the second part he told us to do is pray that the Lord of the harvest send laborers into the field. Okay, I've forgotten So, that. Uh, nice. Father, I thank you that you are sending people to this brother, this this person, whatever it is, and, um, and pray that way. Oh, thanks. I'm praying. Well, because they very often won't hear it from a relative. Right. But God has people out there, and yeah, you pray, send them on yeah. over there. I did that. Thank you. There you go. You. And Miss Ethel had something over here. That's fine. You can have the more than one. The question is, when you say, what's, I guess it, maybe it's more of an attitude thing, the difference between contending and questioning. Because one of the things you said okay. about questioning. What I'm looking at, I'll put it to you that way. I don't know that's a overall authority. But, uh, I'm just looking at the example. Jesus said to, to uh, Abraham, shall I hide from Abraham? what I'm going to do, seeing as he will become great. Now, there's a, there's a hidden thing in there. There are some things that God will do that he does not divulge to his church. Because not everybody's in a spot to be ready. Abraham was apparently the only one who was ready to, to hear this, or that God cared to share it with. So he submitted to him, but just because he submitted to him, God didn't feel the, the burden to share this with it, but he did with him because of Abraham's attitude towards God. If you are in a submittive uh, relationship, whether it be an employee, boss, husband, wife, whatever, child, whatever it might be, your attitude towards the one who is the covering can determine whether things are shared with you. So that's just a side note on that. But the contending went on. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I am going down to see if it's that bad and I'm going to destroy the city. All right, you've stated your will here. Now, if we have maybe 50 people there that are righteous, would you consider sparing the city for that? That's contending. I'm trying to see, all right, you said this is what your desire is. What if this was true? If you go down there and you find that there's 50 righteous people in the city, would you destroy it? Now, he might have until he asked. And he says, all right, I won't. If I find 50 righteous people there, I won't destroy the city for the 50. And so he bartered all the way on down, we know, until he got to 10. Um, so that was the contending. Um, he was very respectful in it. He didn't challenge his, uh, Jesus' right to go down there and destroy the city. He didn't um, challenge his judgment whether it would be as evil as, uh, or deserving of any of that. He's just saying, if you find down there this. So that's the contending. So even in a, uh, say you were at a, a submitted relationship with a boss and the boss says we're going to do this on Saturday well is it important that everybody be there on Saturday um, well no we can we probably don't need the whole team there we can and so you begin to contend with that uh, maybe you knew somebody on the team who just couldn't be there on that Saturday and you didn't want them to feel that they had to be there and so you're contending to try and help them out not yourself but to try and help them out and uh, well can we get by if one or two can't make it yeah 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 we can get by uh, that's not in his original statement, but you're contending with it there. Um, if you came on out there and you just said, well, that's ridiculous. We don't need the whole team out there. Why in the world are you making everybody go out there? Well, see, that's not contending. That's being contentious. And we have to make sure that we don't do that when we come to God. If we want to contend with the thing, I can't be contentious, but I can contend to try and uh, understand the, the will of God in the, in the thing. Does that help? Yeah, that the second part, yes, that, that helped a, a lot. When you no, I know the first part wasn't yeah, anything to do with that. when you first started out, no. I was like, I think I'm getting just more confused. A, that was just sort of a side note to the, to the thing. Got you. Now, the second one has to do with the part where you were talking about the body versus the bride. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I understand what you're saying about the body and, and the bride. 
I guess I, what I'm going to have to look at is those instances in the word where the church is the bride versus the, the body. The church is the body. Yeah, yep. I guess because I know that it, the church is referenced as both the bride yep. of Christ and the body of Christ. But I guess I'm going to have to get the context of that really and truly is to look at those situations where it's used. Yep, and it is different. You will see that a difference in it. When it's the bride, this is the aspect that it's looking at. When it's the body, it's a whole different aspect. And there, anytime you see the warring aspect of the church, it is always the body. It is never the bride. You have a look like maybe you want to ask something. What's that? Well, they they won't hear you online. Jacob and Israel. Oh, sometimes he's called Jacob, and sometimes he's called Israel. Uh -huh. Yeah, even after he changes his name, he's sometimes still referred to as Jacob. Uh, I have not sat down and looked, at least not recently, so that it's fresh in my head. But generally, when you're looking at the Jacob, you're looking at more of the human, more the reality of what he was walking in. Whereas when you're looking at Israel, you're looking at more of the promise and the projection of what he would be. But again, it's been a while since I've looked at some of that. I know I have before, I just it's not fresh in my head on, on that. But uh, it is interesting that after he changed his name, he's still sometimes called Jacob. Mm 